turning first this morning to Daniel chapter 7, we're reading verses 13 and 14. Daniel 7, 13 and 14, this is God's inspired and inerrant word. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5 is our text. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper And laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Amen. Psalm of Preparation is 119Q. Be seated, please. We sing, Judgment I Have Done and Justice. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our great and glorious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we come to the word that you've given, the revelation of your only begotten Son, our dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray for the help of your Spirit that we might understand all that you have shown, all that you have given, all that you revealed in the Holy Scriptures, that we might walk in accordance with your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And where am I going? Humanity has grappled with these universal and ultimate life questions since God created the world. Who am I and why am I here? Address identity and The purpose of life, where did I come from and where am I going, address origin and destiny. Only when you know the right answers to these questions can you truly understand the meaning of life and fulfill your purpose in life. 
the text before us, the Holy Spirit reveals what Jesus knew about his identity, his purpose, his origin, and his destiny. It's among the most fascinating and significant texts in the Gospels because in it, John gives us a window into the mind of Christ, making it exceedingly practical for every Christian since we are called to have the mind of Christ. Let the mind of Christ be in you, Paul says. Have this attitude in yourselves. Let the mind of Christ be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 and verse 5. John chapter 13 begins a new section of John's gospel known as the Upper Room Discourse. Jesus has completed his public ministry. The cross and his death are imminent. And he devoted the the final hours of uh, his life, his final hours on earth, solely to the lives of his disciples. Chapters 13 through 17 contain some of the most personal and practical help and instruction that Jesus gives to his committed followers. Chapter 13 opens with John's account of the Last Supper, which differs significantly from the other Gospels. John gives us details that none of the other Gospels reveal to us. The beginning of this 13, 13th chapter sets the tone for all that follows in the Upper Room Discourse. In it we find that Jesus isn't about to be surprised by what's going to happen to him, by the events of the last hours of his life. As our text makes abundantly clear, he knew what was about to happen. He knew what was going on. And yet far from making him shrink back from the divine purpose, the knowledge drove him to complete the work that his father had sent him to do. Jesus knew the answers to life's ultimate questions and this enabled him to do, to do the Father's will. Jesus knew the, the, the answers to life's ultimate questions, which enabled him to do the Father's will. And the Holy Spirit has revealed this through the Apostle John so that we might know, so that we might understand the answers to life's ultimate questions and that we might do the Father's will. So we want to see two things really very simply here, what Jesus knew and what Christ's knowledge enable him, enabled him to do. What Christ knew and what Christ's knowledge enabled him to do. In the first place then, what Christ knew. 
Jesus knew who he was. Knowing, we have this uh, verb appearing twice in the text, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands. Verse 3, what had the Father given into Christ's hands? He had given all who were his own in the world, verse 1. That is, all of his elect people, as Jesus said uh, in chapter 6 and verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. The Father has given him all the kingdoms of Uh, and and all the rulers of the world, and all things in subjection under his feet, as head over all things in the church, including all his enemies, and especially the last enemy, death. Ephesians 1, verses 20 to 23, 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and, and 26. So Jesus knew that God had given all things into his hand. He knew that he was the exalted, the divine Son of God. He knew who he was, and he knew why he was on earth. Verse 1, knowing that his hour had come. We know this language. If we've we've been in this uh, gospel in the the last weeks, and and we've uh, come across this language, Uh, This is shorthand for the crucifixion, the most intense stage of Christ's humiliation and suffering. Uh, Earlier in his ministry, Jesus knew that uh, his time had not yet come because uh, the Father's timing wasn't yet right. Uh, The Father had determined the exact timing of his death, and that couldn't be altered. And so... Uh, We read, for example, in chapter 7 and verse 30 and chapter 8 and verse 20, they tried to seize him. They tried to arrest him, but they could not, John says, because his hour had not yet come. But when the time of God's decreed hour did come, Jesus himself declared, chapter 12, verse 23, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Then again in verse 27, Now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came for this hour. Now John says this of Jesus as well, that Jesus knew that his hour had come. As a part of his identity as the exalted Son of God, he had come to share in man's identity to serve as a substitute for his elect people to suffer for their sins, to save them from their sins, the very sins that would nail him to the cross. So Jesus knew his identity, he knew his purpose, he understood his exalted position as God, 
but that he had a subordinate role to play in the economy of the Holy Trinity in order to accomplish the redemption of God's elect people. Then we also read in verse 3 that he knew where he'd come from and where he was going. Again, we have this verb, knowing he had come forth from God the Father and was going back to him. And then again in verse 1, knowing that he would depart out of this world to the Father. He understood his heavenly origin and his return destination. He knew that he'd come from the divine heavenly council and that he was returning to that divine council. Others questioned his divine origin. Others had questions about where Jesus came from, but Jesus wasn't confused. He said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven, and now I am going to him who sent me. Well, some, someone might say, well, of course he, he knew all of these. He knew the answers to all these questions because he was the son of God. He was God. He, he was divine. But when John refers to what Jesus knows, he was referring to what he came to understand in his human nature. In his humanity, Jesus grew in his knowledge. There's another fascinating text concerning Jesus and his knowledge in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. This is after Jesus' interaction with the Jewish leaders in the temple. Now, this is that circumstance where his parents left him behind in Jerusalem. And he has, a, he has this exchange with, with his parents about uh, when, they, when they confronted him about it. Uh, did you not know that I had to be about my father's business uh, here in the temple? And at the end of that uh, section, uh, Luke writes, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature, in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and men. He grew in his knowledge and understanding in his human nature. And in, uh, it was in his humanity that Jesus wrestled with these questions, and it's evident that he wrestled with such questions by the account we have of his struggles with the knowledge of his death. What shall I say? He puts the hypothetical question in chapter 12 and verse 27. Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. And then in Gethsemane, Father, if you're willing, deliver me. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. In his humanity, Jesus underwent the same struggles that we undergo in answering life's ultimate questions in order that he might do the Father's will. And knowing the answers to these questions, 
these ultimate questions of life is essential if you're to do the Father's will and if you're to escape eternal destruction. Uh, You've heard it said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Often in in connection with uh, employment opportunities, uh, you, you, uh, someone might expect that what they know, their education, their skills, their vocational skills to, to open doors for employment. And nevertheless, it turns out uh, sometimes to be networking. Who you know, someone who works for uh, an employer who can commend you for your skills uh, as a good candidate for employment that that lands you a job. But in the spiritual realm, it's what you know because of who you know. In a broad sense, the answer to the first three questions is the same for all people. Who am I and where did I come from? I'm a human being created in God's image. Why am I here? God made me to glorify him. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. However, the the answer to the last question is not the same for all. And, And in a narrow sense, the ultimate answer to all of these questions depends on who you know. Unless you know God, you can't truly know who you are, where you've come from, or why you're here, because the Bible tells us that we can't truly know ourselves unless we know God. Unless you come to know Jesus Christ by faith, you can't know God savingly, and your destiny will not be the same as Christ's destiny to go to the Father in heaven. As Jesus himself declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus knew the answers to life's ultimate questions. He understood his identity. He understood his purpose, his origin, his destiny, and that brings us, secondly, then, to what Christ's knowledge enabled him to do. Two things. John's account here in chapter 13 revealed to us. It enabled him to love, and it enabled him to serve. To love his people despite their sinfulness. Verse 1. Knowing that his hour had come, Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. As he looked around that upper room where uh, he instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, he saw a ragtag group of disciples. Uh, He saw the apostle Peter, who would deny him. Three times the same night, he saw James and John, who were called the the sons of thunder because 
They had a short fuse and who had sought greatness for themselves, seeking the number two and number three position in God's kingdom. He saw Thomas, who was riddled with doubt, overcome by unbelief. He saw a stumbling, bumbling lot of men who would all flee him when his accusers came. And these were his most loyal followers. Yet the driving influence, in spite of all of their inconsistencies, in spite of their sinfulness, was his love for them. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He looked upon them with pity because they were in the world because he had identified with them in his human nature and in the struggles that they faced. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The thought that John expresses here is that having always loved his own disciples and having already given many proofs of his affection for them. He now shows this striking proof of his love in that he was willing to suffer and die for the very men who were going to behave like cowards and forsake him, the very sinners whose sins would nail him to the cross. He knew perfectly well that it was only a matter of hours before he would die for these sinful men. But that knowledge didn't absorb his thoughts so as to make him slink into a corner to be by himself alone, to forget or to reject his little flock of followers. Even as this great trial was approaching, and as the weight of the task that was before him pressed upon his shoulders, he loved them to the end. The word end here means the point where its purpose is fulfilled. The idea isn't that his love has an ending point. But, he, but that he loved them to the fullest until they couldn't be loved anymore, any better. In other words, Christ's love for his own is limitless, boundless, and timeless. Jesus loves you even though He knows you like no one else knows you. Although your parents, your spouse, your siblings, or close friend may know you well, they don't know you thoroughly. They don't know you completely. There are things deep in your heart Thoughts, 
attitudes, reactions, beliefs, doubts, known only to you. What would happen if someone close to you knew everything there was to be known about you? Even your close family members or friends would look at you differently. Well, there is such a person. Happily, that person is full of compassion, mercy, and grace. Instead of Christ's knowledge moving him to hatred and vengeance toward his children, it moves him to unfathomable acts of kindness, sacrifice, and love. In spite of the fact that Jesus knows your every thought, word, and action, he loves you, and he loves you to the end. No one loves you any better or any more. And he loves you, Christian, to the extent that he died for you. As Jesus looks upon this assembly of people today, he knows us comprehensively. He's fully aware of your struggles with purity all of your secret thoughts and actions. He knows about all of your inconsistencies and and unfaithfulness to him in worship and in service. He knows your struggle with anger. He knows your propensity to worry. He listens to your gossip, your biting tongue. He sees your critical spirit. And yet it's love that motivates him in his dealings with you. And that love caused him to lay down his life for you. And the love that caused him to lay down his life for you now leads him to sanctify you. When he brings trials into your life, it's because he loves you. When he rebukes you from his word, it's, it's out of love. When he disciplines you, it's motivated by his love for you. The love that Jesus has for his own is a deep love, which depth our poor, corrupt nature cannot measure or fully comprehend. Christ's knowledge enabled him to serve his people, even unto death on the cross. In the scene that we have before us here in John's Gospel, Christ and his disciples have just come from Bethany uh, to Jerusalem, and their feet, only protected by sandals, were dirty, having been exposed to sand and dust. Remember, there were no paved streets or sidewalks uh, in Palestine. The washing of the feet was customary, especially before a meal. And this menial task fell to the host. Although it was usually delegated to the lowliest household member, usually a servant. The upper room was ready 
For Jesus and his disciples, Jesus had made sure of that, sending his disciples on, the, on, on a mission to do so. A, a, a pitcher of water and, uh, was there, and, and a wash basin along with uh, the linen cloth awaited their use. But here in the upper room, there was no household servant to which this task of washing feet could be delegated. So one of the disciples should have done it. It was in the midst of this scene that Jesus took the initiative, setting a remarkable example of humility and service. And that service left an indelible impression on John's mind. He lists the details one by one so that we would linger on each one and absorb the lesson here. He arose from supper. He laid aside his garments. He's pictured by John here as a slave wearing only a loincloth. And then he took a long linen cloth or towel and tied it around his midsection. And after that, Jesus took the pitcher, he poured water into a basin, proceeded to wash the disciples' feet one by one and dry their feet with the end of the towel. Although he was greatly exalted above them, he knew his identity and purpose. He knew his subordinate role in the economic trinity and so was enabled to serve. Verse 2 alludes to something else that Jesus knew, which shows us the extent of his humility, his great adversary, the devil, was aligned against him and raging in hatred toward him. And he knew that the devil had put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. He washed the betrayer's feet that night too. When someone has betrayed us, the last thing we want to do is be around them. Even to be near them. Not only was he near his betrayer that night, not only did he wash Judas' feet that night, but he dined with him. What John portrays graphically in Christ's humble washing of his disciples' feet in the upper room, Paul expresses theologically in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. In John 13, 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Philippians 2, 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. John 13, 4, he arose from supper and laid aside his garments, Philippians 2, 7, he emptied himself. John 13, 4, in taking a towel, he girded himself about and began to wash his disciples' feet. Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, taking the form of a bondservant, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Paul begins his theological discourse on Christ's humility saying, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, 
And John records Jesus later telling his disciples here in chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, If I then, the Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. And a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. In our text, then, we have our marching orders before us. As Christians, we have the answers to life's ultimate questions because we know God. And that knowledge enables us to do what Christ did. And therefore, we must love as Christ did. Knowing the answers to life's ultimate questions means knowing the depth of your sin and forgiving others for the sins they commit against you. Knowing these things means understanding how a person can commit heinous, despicable, atrocious, and hurtful sins and yet be granted the gift, the grace of repentance unto life, be forgiven by God, and be granted entrance into his kingdom, into the church, or restored into her fellowship. I'll never forget A striking example I once witnessed in a presbytery meeting. A minister who was seeking entrance into a presbytery was explaining his situation. And a part of that, his circumstances, is that his wife had committed adultery against him. And because of that, he had resigned his previous charge, and he'd moved and was in a new area and, and wanting to come into that new, uh, be received as a, as a minister in that, that presbytery. And he said to the members of the presbytery, don't think ill of my wife. Christ has forgiven her, and I have forgiven her. That's what enabling knowledge enables us to do, is to forgive from the heart. And you must serve as Christ did. For you, Christ-like humility means the selfless serving of others as Jesus modeled for us so poignantly, especially on this night. You remember that Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And what, a, what an example 
we have of such service. And of course, the ultimate service uh, in the cross. In Paul's language of Philippians 2, such service means regarding others as more important than yourself. Being interested in and looking out for the interests of others and not your own. Not insisting on and defending your so-called rights, but being willing to give them up for the sake of others. If Christ stooped from such great heights of glory, why do you and I find it so difficult to humble ourselves? Given that we're already, by nature, because of our sin, a lowly people. To be enabled to love and serve is not an easy thing. To love and serve itself is not an easy thing. But if we're to do so, we must understand who we are in Christ. Just as as the Son understood his identity in relationship to the Father, you must understand your identity in relationship to the Father. To Christ. You've died with Christ, Paul says. You've been buried with Christ, he says. You've been raised with Christ. You've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And you've been given the privilege of participating in Christ's mediatorial reign. All of these things. Revealed to us in the scripture's teachings. One of the several trustworthy statements Paul writes in the pastoral epistles uh, recorded in Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2 11 to 12, reads For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we, we shall also reign with him. Those whom Christ has purchased with his blood from every tribe, language, and people, and nation shall reign on earth. Because God has made them a kingdom of priests. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10 make clear. An old covenant priest was a servant. He made offerings for his sins and for the sins of God's people. God has made you and me reigning servants. There's a paradoxical expression if there ever was one. In the earthly realm, kings reign and servants serve. That's the way things work. But in the spiritual realm, kings serve and servants reign. And you must understand this if you're going to truly serve your Savior in his church. 
Christ has given you this example by his grace. Go and do as he did. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before your throne, a grateful people, grateful for the knowledge that you have given us in your word, grateful that we can know you through your word and therefore know ourselves, know the answers to these ultimate questions, universal questions for humanity, and knowing them, we might be able to serve you, love you, Love others, forgive others, serve others. Each one of us knows, and you know, O Lord, the depth of our sins. We know that we have not loved you or served you as we ought, and therefore we haven't loved or served others as we ought. We pray, O Lord, that you would grant us the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you would increase that grace, fill us with that grace, grant us, O Lord, ever-increasing grace in our sanctification. Help us to know who we are in Christ Jesus. Acquaint us, O Lord, with these wondrous passages where you have revealed to us who we are and what we are positionally in Christ because of his righteousness and all that he has done for us in satisfying divine justice and his perfect obedience on our behalf. Let us, O Lord, who are justified ones, then grow in righteousness. Let those who have been made righteous by Christ's perfect sacrifice and obedience, become the righteousness of God in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.